Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 45, I think. Let's say yes. I'm almost positive, because I feel like, yeah, 46 sounds, uh, I should really check before the show, I'm sorry. Anyway, so um, thanks to everybody for um, your feedback regarding the last episode, and the the minisodes, I've been uh, enjoying those even when, <laughs> even when I, you know, do ones like the last one in which I basically just uh, indulge myself for about thirty minutes and treat this as if it were some sort of extended counseling session. So, uh, and then uh, I also did want to tell everybody that I'm. Uh, you may not be able to tell. I don't. It, my, my voice doesn't sound remarkably different right now, but I'm a little bit under the weather. Um, I'm hopped up on Mucinex. Dayquil and Excedrin, so I'm I, I, I think I'm okay, but there is a bit of a tickle in my lungs, and so I will I'll probably cough from time to time. I'll try to do that off mic. I on so, the other hand am completely healthy, so don't worry. Okay, that's that is why I had a, I I decided to bring a co-host in is because you know uh, it's like a it's like a vice president. If I die, right. then you're going to have to take over the podcast. If you die in the middle of the podcast, I'm just going to push on through. Right, and then you got to just keep doing episodes. And yeah. then you pick your co-host. Right. So there's a, I've got it all worked out. <laughs> so, um, and of course, the like all of all of my guests, they could you know they're next in line. There is a you know an order yeah. there. Dead last, I'm looking at you, Bobo. All right, so uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Okay, so uh, real quick before we get started, the um, so. We offered uh, a contest, uh, not really a contest, but uh, mm. I a guess giveaway. you could call it that. I get, yeah, we were doing a giveaway of Josh's mockumentary for the title. That's correct. And uh, everything has been randomized and <laughs> on, on the randomizer. Man, you it love re- that randomizer. I do. I try to give it a plug every time I can. Um, so, uh, And the, the recipient of for the title will be Jeremy Duncan of Greenfield, Massachusetts. I was just in Massachusetts. Oh yeah, did I don't you stop? Know. Did you swing by Greenfield? Yeah, Jeremy and I had a nice uh, had a nice dinner. Mm, if you and Jeremy met up, and now he just happens to have won, that doesn't sound like the randomizer's doing its job. Hey, you know what? Uh, stranger things have happened. Stuff like this happens in Magnolia all the time. Well, that's true. So uh, okay, so yes, Jeremy, uh, email me your uh, okay Tyler at more than one lesson.com email me your address and we will send you a copy as soon as possible do you want josh to sign it do you not you let me know yeah because so. i can sign it i can do that that'll actually lower the value and that's <laughs> saying something um because <laughs> it's almost totally valueless so <laughs> that sounds terrible i'm sorry i'm glad you said valueless instead of worthless why, why is one is one better than the other? I don't know. I like I can believe that one's better than the other. Really, if you had said worthless, I would have said I'm glad you said worthless instead of valueless. There you go. Because I can just bl- make myself believe that whichever one, it's invaluable. That's the way I, I look at it. Well, that's uh, that's that's. Good. I mean that in like the negative sense. Although no, it's mostly a positive word. It is. And you can't you can't even calculate the value. Man, ain't that the truth? <laughs> okay, so not even the randomizer. So now that we've uh, oh everybody, that's Josh. By the way. For those that uh, don't know. Oh, yeah. If somebody skipped one, they're going to be like, who's this guy? Yeah. And why? What's so, yeah, on? I guess to catch people up uh, a little bit, I do have uh, a co-host. It's Josh. Hey, guys. Okay. So, um, and, uh, and yeah, and you can hear all about my inner thoughts leading up to 
get, deciding on having a co-host and then deciding who it would be, you can find out all about what was going on inside my head uh, on the MTOL Minisode number three. Uh, I believe the title of that one is Behind the Curtain. So anyway. That's talking about the Iron Curtain, right? Of my brain. Oh. That's right. Nice. I do have very socialist uh, tendencies. In As we'll discover when we talk about uh, today's movie. <laughs> uh, was a, man, what? David is uh, uh, Battleship Pretension is uh, rubbing off on me when it comes oh, to the rather clunky uh, transitions. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's going to be sitting on the edge of his seat when he heard that you're going to be socialist in this episode. Oh. Well, he's never going to listen to this episode. That's all right. <laughs> Mostly because he does what a lot of people do, which is he doesn't listen to episodes in which we talk about movies oh, that movies he hasn't seen. Yeah. So it is a it is a I'm not changing the format, but it is kind of a flawed format. It's because uh, <laughs> people don't want to hear spoilers. And I can't yeah. say as I blame them. But if you listen to a little bit of it, hopefully you might. I mean, sometimes if you know that there's going to be a connection between the two movies, if say mm-hmm. you've seen the old one and you know there's some kind of thematic connection, I might be like, oh, I'd want to see that newer one. Like, the, I still haven't seen it, but you did the episode on Adam Resurrected, and now I'm mm-hmm. very interested to see that movie. Well, I do hope that that's, that's what happens, is that people see... J- that just the, just the fact that I'm talking about a movie, regardless of what I have to say about it, makes right. somebody want to see it. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I do think I think maybe one thing I may try and do. And now that now that I have a co-host and I can bounce ideas off of off of you, um, you know, perhaps we can start planning ahead so that we can say, like, hey, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about next episode. So it gives people time to see it if they would like to see it and that Uh kind of thing. Like, for example, we do know what the next episode is going to be about. And we'll announce that at the end of this episode. Um, because there will be a nice uh, flow from one end to the other, uh, and you'll find out how uh, a little bit later. So stay tuned. Absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> so the film that we're going to be talking about today is a movie that I really enjoyed, and even though it is not a not a big film, um, I, I do have in in the movies that I pick, I do feel kind of I don't know. I feel frustrated because part of me wants to just talk about whatever movie is striking to me. But at the same time, I realize that not many people have seen it. You mentioned Adam resurrected. Well, nobody saw that movie. And so why wouldn't I do an episode about it? I did one about Winnebago man. I did a whole episode back when I was doing episodes like once every month and a half. And I decided to do an entire episode about the movie Winnebago man. There's something deeply wrong with me. And so, but that's the thing is that's, you know, um, Movies of all kinds can uh, can speak to people, not just uh, the big blockbusters. It takes all kinds. So, I also did a, uh, an episode about, uh, you know, the highest grossing movie of all time, Avatar. Yeah. You did. You can go back and listen to that one. That's so, I And I will be referencing already. that one later on today. Oh. Well, in this episode. Not tonight. That'd be weird. Alone. So <laughs> You're sitting in your kitchen by yourself and you're like, Remember James that Avatar Cameron's episode? Avatar. <laughs> So uh, the movie today is is called Fair Game, and it came out last year. It was directed by Doug Lyman, who uh, is known primarily as the director of the Born Identity. And I had heard about this movie a little bit when it came out. It stars Naomi Watts and Sean Penn, and anybody who listens to Battleship Pretension and maybe even more than one lesson knows that I'm not a huge fan of Sean Penn, but he can, I think he can be good in the right, in the right role. And um, 
and I had heard a little bit, and it's based on a true story. Uh, it's the story of uh, Valerie Plame, who was a CIA, a covert CIA agent who had been sort of outed by the White House, or some, you know, at some level uh, by the White House, um, for whatever reason. People have different theories as to what the reason was, and the theory that the film puts out there is that her husband, Joe Wilson, had written an article uh, saying that um, saying that he had not found any evidence that Saddam Hussein was looking to buy uh, something called yellow cake, which is something that you know uranium, yellow yeah. cake, uranium, uh, not just cake. Yeah, just cake. It's <laughs> yellow cake. It's delicious, and so we will not ha- we will not let Saddam Hussein have yellow cake. No, we, thank you. This will not stand. <laughs> it's chocolate or nothing. And so, um, but yes, yellow cake uranium. And so, uh, you know, in two thousand two, in two thousand two, right? The uh, that's when when uh, during the State of the Union, uh, George W. Bush had announced that uh, Saddam Hussein was yes, no, maybe three. It's either two or three. I thought I thought the war started in two thousand three. I think it might have been. Yeah. So, State of the Union, he says that. Uh, Saddam Hussein was trying to get uh, yellow cake uranium from uh, Africa, and then the, specifically uh, Niger or Niger, how you, however you want to say it, uh, depends on uh, how pretentious you are. If you want to look at it that way, yes. And so um, that's not, okay. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So uh, the, Joe Wilson. I was going to say the character of Joe Wilson, but the actual guy uh, was sent to. Niger to um, sort of find out if this was if this claim was true. He said it was not, but then it still found its way into the State of the Union as if it were fact. And so he got very upset with that and uh, wrote a piece for I believe the uh, I think it's New York Times, New York Times or Washington Post. I don't recall which one, yeah, sure. but uh, saying that he was sent there and did not find anything. And then the film puts out the idea that sort of as a way of, of punishing him, they put out that his wife is part of this, was a member of the CIA and that she sent him. She was one of the people that sent him on this, uh, on this trip, uh, you know, possibly, I don't know, so that he could make some money or something like that. But either way, like she was a covert operative. Nobody knew what she did. And then suddenly everyone knows what she did, uh, both here and abroad. And, it really caused her a lot of trouble, and it was act- and it's actually against the law to do so. Yeah. So, and it clearly puts it puts her in danger, as it would anyone in that position. Right, it puts her in danger, and possibly like some of her contacts in other countries in danger as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's the that's the basic story, and I was familiar with it a little bit from a from a different perspective. Um, a few years ago, I was working at a company that was making a documentary about uh, journalism and censorship in other countries as well as this country and uh the and Robert Novak who wrote the the story in which her name was put out there he was kind of grilled about uh about who you know who leaked the story and that sort of thing so that's kind of how I found out about it from more the journalistic point of view so I knew a little bit about it and uh and I kind of wanted to see it um because I do like Doug Lyman as a director. He also directed Go, 
which is a movie I really enjoy. And I did like The Born Identity, not as much as Supremacy and Ultimatum, but I do like it a lot. And it seemed interesting to me that he would direct a movie like Fair Game, which is ostensibly just a political film, you know, yeah. and it's not an, it's not an action film. But it is directed, I think, with a certain degree of flair. It has I think. thriller elements to it, I'd say. Yeah, even... Well, and before we get into some of the, the thematic elements of, of the film, I do want to talk about it uh, as a film itself. And before we even talk about that, you and I were talking beforehand uh, a few days ago when we, when we watched the movie. Um, we were talking about something that we want to put out there uh and someone might say that this is i don't know someone someone might get upset by us saying this but it's just sort of a not so much a warning but it's just sort of a preface that this this film is based on books written by the real valerie plame and joe wilson yeah it's the books or the the movie is based on true events but it's based on true events through the eyes of these two characters and characters who as husband and wife are essentially on the same team. Right. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying, Oh, they're lying. I'm not saying, I'm not even saying they're not dependable or reliable. I'm not saying any of that, but it is told from their perspective and they are the heroes of the story. And that's, that's okay. Movies, movies do that. You know, the insider does that. Yeah. JFK did that, yeah. you know, it's, um, and so, but it's, it, it's always something to keep in mind. Um, you know, when you see some of the, some of the characters that are sort of the villains of the story and you see how they are portrayed, how they're written and how they're portrayed, you think like, it's like, man, these guys are just pure evil. Yeah. And it's, you know, that again, that's, that's how the film is, is framing it because it's told from this person's perspective and it's not, it doesn't, the film does not claim to be objective, I think. Yeah. If, if you, if you are conservative, politically minded, you could come away hating this movie mm-hmm. um, because yeah. it's, I think it's pretty clearly told from a, from a liberal perspective, from a democratic liberal perspective. And uh, so, the conservative characters are the Republican characters. Really, are are looked at as evil, are depicted as evil. I think when, when we were talking about it uh, after Tyler and I watched the movie, we were mentioning how they're some of them are almost cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the argument could be made that Karl Rove is a little cartoonish looking anyway in real life. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the they're clearly played up as evil, um, almost in a in a Dick Tracy kind of way, <laughs> not, yeah. not to that extreme, obviously. But, uh, so it, I, I think like Tyler's been saying, it's important to note that the film makes no bones about coming at this from, um, from the perspective of people who are in opposition to specifically the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing is I don't, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm crapping on, Joe Wilson or Valerie Plame. That is not the issue. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying they're wrong or they're lying or anything like that. But it is told from their perspective. And anything told from one person's perspective will be tilted that way. The film is, you know, they are not responsible for the film. And so 
so you know hopefully as we say this i don't want people to think like ah the tyler and josh are just puppets of the bush administration <laughs> it's that's not the case it's just something to always keep in mind uh with any you know with any film yeah um that that is clearly from uh, you know one person's point of view yeah. um and there have been and as i already mentioned a couple but like there have been some really great films like that you know i think yeah. jfk is a wonderful film and there's no question that that is one-sided and the "Quote unquote bad guys are as bad as you get, you know. Um, Tommy Lee Jones turns in a really great performance in JFK as this cool as ice villain, but and he's definitely a villain in the traditional sense. If only he had a mustache, he was twirling. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, these it doesn't mean the movie is bad, and it doesn't mean that the real life characters that are depicted uh, are are you know liars or being disingenuous or anything like that it's told from their perspective this is how they see events and that's how we see events as a result so just keep that in mind when watching the movie that said i still think the movie i I think the movie is very good um you know it's it reminds me in in not totally of course but one of the reasons that i think people enjoyed a movie like the hurt locker is because it's a war movie but it was done with a sort an action suspense sensibility which is not often done and i think that's why people found it as invigorating as it was um and much in the same way this film though it does have you know elements of of valerie plame's like covert activities um it's you know when when she's back at home and dealing with uh, politicians who may not agree with her or whatever, it's, I don't know, it's just as um, suspenseful. Yeah, and I think it, it focuses a lot more, it, it doesn't focus on the action, even though, like you were saying, there are sequences of action, that's not at all the focus, I, I think. I think first and foremost is the focus is on her as a character, and I think a close second uh, on her husband, on Joe Wilson as a mm-hmm. character. Yeah, and and uh, I'll talk first about the the performances, as I mentioned a moment ago. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Sean Penn, but I do think that he does a very good job in this film. Uh, partially, it, my big problem with him is that I some I think that he sometimes overacts. Uh, that he might be even overacts is too is too strong a word, but I think that he tends to like really play up the intensity of of his characters, and you get a little bit of that in this character, which makes sense. The character's under. The character's under a tremendous stress, yeah, and so so that makes sense. But for the most part, he you know he just uh, speaks in a normal tone and seems like a regular kind of guy. And maybe that's because he's playing a real person mm-hmm. and felt that he wanted to try and do justice to that. So I think his per- I actually like his performance quite a bit. And Naomi Watts, who's an actress that I've liked for a long time, uh, ever since Mulholland Drive, which is a movie I didn't even like at the time. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, if you haven't seen Mulholland Drive. Uh, I feel like it's a good movie to see if you're at all interested in Naomi Watts or maybe even particularly if you don't think she's that good of an actress because mm-hmm. I think seeing her performance in that film mm-hmm. alongside others really shows you uh, something kind of fascinating about her range. Yeah, it's... she. I don't know. It's there. I know some people who really don't like her, like re- think she's like a bad actress, and that fascinates me because like if you see 21 Grams... She's yeah, great. She's, she's great, great in that. Movie, yeah. You know, I thought, and there's a lot of people who don't like the new King Kong. I think she's really good in that too. It's, I think she's good. In, I I I don't like the movie, but I don't. It's not because of her that I don't mm-hmm. like it. 
Um, I enjoy the new King Kong. A surprising, <laughs> surprising for me how much I enjoy that movie. Huh. Um, but her performance is really good as well, and especially because these. I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna say characters. I know they're based on real people, but we are only judging from the movie, so I'm going to say characters. Uh, these characters are both very clearly drawn. We get a strong sense of who they are and what they're about. Joe Wilson is a guy who is very principled, very idealistic, uh, kind of practical to a certain extent. Um, but maybe very, to a fault. Maybe to a fault. And stubborn. He's he's definitely stubborn. And yeah. there might be even a little twinge of, of pride in there, but we'll we'll get that later. But he's that's not to say he's a... Fl- He's a flawed person, as we all are, and I like that they're willing to explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what I really find interesting is the way that Valerie's character is developed, because she's the one who, <coughs> excuse me, she's the one who is wronged. I mean, they both are, but she's the one who is very directly wronged, yeah. and she's upset, but I don't know. It, her attitude always seems to be that she wants to sort of put it behind her. She wants to just move on. She's ups- she's very upset that she can't continue working as she did. Mm-hmm. Um, and she certainly feels betrayed and, and all of that. But she's not as willing as he is to go spouting off about it. Yeah. You know, it's... And I think that sort of denotes her mentality as a government employee and as a government agent. is like, she's... Ba- to put it basically, she's a soldier, mm-hmm. and a soldier, you just do it. You know, you just keep going. You just yeah. do what you got to do. You don't scream about it. And it's an interesting concept to him because he's a journalist, and mm-hmm. so his first reaction is to go public with yeah. uh, something happens that he doesn't like, and he goes public with it like the day, the next day, or something. Well, he's. I mean, he he's not primarily a journalist. Journalist. He does. He's kind of a jack of all well, trades, but yeah. he's done a lot of things. But yes, in this in this instance, yeah, he uh, he puts it out there and. And it seems weird that someone who has been wronged would just try to move past it, um, even when people are specifically calling her names and that sort of thing. And so uh, it's an interesting way to go with the character, um, because in it, with both characters, because you could have made this, I don't know, you could have almost disnified it a little bit, and... Both of them could have been beyond reproach and both of them just righteous indignation all the way. But he winds up being a little stubborn and a little prideful and she winds up just wanting to get past it. And so I that's and the way that and you see the toll that it is that this situation is taking on their marriage because you see that their different approaches are really uh, is start, starting to divide them more and more. And that's what I that's might might be my favorite thing about the film is that yes it is about the events but it is also very much about the toll that it is taking on them personally it does remind me a lot of uh, the insider um mm-hmm. in that you see what uh what he is going you know what the main character is going through mm-hmm. um but uh was there anything else that uh, that you wanted to mention about the way the film is made acting choices writing choices whatever um well, I I think uh, this was something you were going to go into later, but uh, one thing that I feel like I have a little bit more of a problem with the film is that I think I think Sean Penn I feel like 
they begin to set up that he is a flawed character and they it seems like the movie's attitude towards him is that he is he is stubborn and he is kind of prideful um but i feel like the film ultimately ultimately vindicates him a little bit by saying that because it was for a good cause um or at least in the film's mind a good cause then it's it was worth it for him to be stubborn and his his pride turned out to be an asset in a way mm-hmm. so i don't know i i i feel like it could do more to to show how that's a flaw and how that I don't know. It, 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 I was going to say how it affects him in a negative way, and I think you do see that it affects him in a negative way in that it makes his marriage difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes his relationship with his wife difficult. But, I mean, ultimately, she she turns around when she decides that he was doing the right thing. So I feel like even if, even though his pride and stubbornness may have hurt their marriage... <coughs> he doesn't have to overcome that pride and stubbornness. He doesn't have to turn against it anyway or recognize it as a flaw um, because she realizes the, the, the goodness behind his actions or the, the, I guess the justification behind his, uh, his actions and forgives him and decides to go his way sort of. And I think actually we can we can use this opportunity to uh, move into some of the thematic elements of the film. Um, I'd be I'm perfectly okay with this uh, episode being a little bit shorter, simply because I can feel already my voice starting to give out a little bit. So <laughs> don't worry, if you go down, I'll keep talking. Uh, absolutely, this and might turn into a totally different podcast. It might ultimate turn into, frisbee. <laughs> it'll be all ultimate frisbee. And then it'll be interspersed with sections where I eat something and everyone has to guess what it is that I'm eating. We were talking about that beforehand. That might be like a special feature. That'll like be a, a, yeah, a mini-sode. A mini, right. Coming up. Well, just, uh, no, mini-sodes are mine. Okay. This will just be called Josh Eats. Okay. <laughs> I like that. So, um, but there won't be any talking and just you no. chewing, you know, just as long as it takes for you to finish the meal. Yeah. And there'll be like a supplement that comes <coughs> with it that just has like a, a, it'll be like zero to... 15 seconds in, and then there'll be a blank, and you try and fill them in. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. This is such a good idea. I know, and and like, and like, we'd have something for like, uh, here's Thanksgiving dinner. Where <laughs> is he now? So, uh, okay, that was ridiculous. So, <laughs> You're uh, welcome, America. And so the, the thing that... This goes worldwide, by the way. No, oh, sorry. So, uh, please, let's not insult my uh, very small podcast. So, <laughs> the... <clears throat> And that's the thing is, is to me, I do think that the film ultimately, you know, winds up being on Joe Wilson's side because, well, not only is it his point of view, but, you know, I think it it is trying to be a little objective in saying what was done to he and his wife, to, to him and his wife was wrong and he wanted to fight it, and that's good. But perhaps the way in which he fought it, and maybe his own personal motivations, maybe a li- maybe some of it was hurt pride, maybe some of it was ego. And and while Valerie gets upset at him for doing this and putting their family at risk or or whatever, and you know she gets mad at him, and then she comes around and she sees what he did as a good thing. 
However, and this is where I, I think they don't necessarily let him totally off the hook, is that there's a moment when he says, she says, you did good. No, he says, I'm sorry. She says, you did good. And he says, I did it for me. And then she says, you know, it's, it's fine or something like that. But him saying, I did it for me, and him apologizing implies that there was, that's the thing, is like, the film might say that it was probably a good thing that he did this, but the character himself realizes that there was something underneath, that while he certainly did feel righteous indignation, and he certainly did do it for, for, re, for some good objective reasons, there probably was some of it underneath, where there was a little bit of wounded pride, People were saying things about him and his wife, and there might have been a little bit of like, you don't get to say that about me, and it, and it had, less, had less to do with an objective truth and, some, and something to do with him personally, and, and he would just throw caution to the wind, because you don't talk that way about me, personally. And, and so, when he says, I did it for me, I think it doesn't let him off the hook, and I don't think he lets himself off the hook. I think it ultimately says, what he did was a good thing, and I th- and he mostly did it for the right reasons, but there is something there, and even he acknowledges it eventually. And that's and I I like that scene a lot because she's upset with she starts out being upset with him. Well, there's you know as the yeah, film no, goes on, she's upset with him, and you know leaves and stays with her parents, and then comes back and she tries to see what it is he was doing, and so she's. You know, as a loving spouse, she she's trying to see it from his point of view. And then he, who has been very stubborn and saying, I'm doing the right thing, I'm always doing the right thing, even if it puts my family at risk, I'm always doing the right thing, he starts to see, like, you know what, maybe I wasn't always doing the right thing, or maybe not always with the right motive, and maybe I should have talked to my family first before I thought about doing this. And so he recognizes that, you know what, maybe she's a little bit right too. And in that moment, I like that both of them are right, both of them are wrong, but it's but in that moment, it's more about them reconciling with each other and acknowledging, yeah, I guess, I guess, there's, I guess there's something in me that was, you know, it wasn't a, it's not a, a zero-sum game, you know? Neither of us was completely right or completely wrong. And even if both of us were doing something that was completely right perhaps our motives weren't a hundred percent pure at all times. Uh, and when I say pure, I don't mean to say like there was, you know, a, a deep flawed, evil ulterior motive. It could just be a function of personal ego or personal pride. And as, as seen in the film. And so, um, so I, I, I like that scene. And I do think that while the film does view him as a positive person, I don't think it, it lets him totally off the hook at all times. I'm, I might agree that it doesn't let him totally off the hook at all times, but I, I feel like I, I do like the scene of him realizing, uh, or at least partially admitting to selfish motives. But at the same time, I feel like it. it I feel like this. The sense is that uh, the the ends justifies the means. And I think the way I, I believe the next scene we see him in, he's speaking to a, a crowd of of uh, students about, including our friend Ricky. That's true. Uh, Ricky Underhill shows up in that uh, that scene prominently. So good yeah. for you, Ricky. Way to go. Um, 
Tyler told me beforehand, but I would have been excited if I'd seen you there. Yeah. Otherwise. Anyway, um, he's he's talking to the students about his his problems with the his problems with the Bush administration and his his idea that they need that it's an administration that needs to be uh against which people need to stand up. Um and so I I don't know, I feel like like we could see more I feel like we could see more of a change in him. I think we do see some remorse in that scene. Um but then I think somehow about it, how it seems like it goes right back to all right, back to business as usual, and now here's here's Valerie doing what he wanted her to do ultimately, because um, because then the next thing we see with her is her deciding that she is going to testify as he had um, suggested. Um, I don't know. Something to me just seems like it says he he wins, and it's interesting because I I feel like I notice a tonal shift there at the end. Like, they have their moment in which they sort of, I don't know, they, in which they reconcile with each other. Um, and they both sort of admit that they were wrong to each other. Uh, and then, when it, then like, there's a, a change in the music and in the way that he is addressing... Um, that group the audience the audience like the audience of the film oh as well, yes I no the, and yes and but the thing is like there's a, to- a a tonal change in his body language in the way he's talking before everything he seemed very embittered you know it did, like anytime he would do a, an appearance he would seem very very angry and just like and just like sort of raging at the world a little mm-hmm. bit when he's giving that address he seems much more not necessarily at ease but confident instead of just furious and and he has reason to be angry don't get me wrong but like i don't know it seems like in that moment like when he wrecked like and maybe i'm putting something on this but i but there is definitely a change in the music in the way the film is shot and i think there is a change in his performance but it's almost as if once he once he sort of declared that I did it for me it's like he realized I was doing this for myself but that doesn't mean what I was doing was necessarily wrong and now I can try to remove myself from it and do it the way it's supposed to be done so you feel like in that scene he's not doing it for himself he's more doing it just because it's right yes at least in his mind I do think so yes okay and for the same reason I think she finally goes and 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 testifies um, but it, and it's interesting because what she testifies, she, it has less to do with like, she's upset with the administration. She's upset with the administration, of course, yeah. but it has more to do with the idea of how to handle covert operations and undercover operations. And that's sort of something that she can speak to very clearly, both as someone who did this and somebody who was outed very recklessly and irresponsibly Mm -hmm. and so she did it in a she did it in the most responsible way she could it was on television of course but it was at an official hearing she didn't like you know run out and talk and just talk to a journalist like she sat where she was she gave a statement but she was asked questions on the record and and that sort of thing she didn't go to andrea mitchell absolutely let's let's watch the tone come on now we don't want to be (laughs) 
Andrew Mitchell specifically is mentioned in the movie. Yes, I know. As is um, Chris Matthews. So, <laughs> yeah. And and actually, Chris Matthews he, did a little voiceover work for that movie. I yeah. Think. And I would say he's over overacting, but uh, he's not. That's just him. That's the way he is. So, um, Chris Matthews would be one of those characters. Like, if, if fifty years from now they did a movie and they cast someone as Chris Matthews, people audiences would be like, nobody was really like that. And then they would get out old tapes. I'm sure they'd have old tapes mm-hmm. of uh, Hardball, and they'd be like, oh, this is just the way the guy was. Not that I want to equate the two, but that's exactly what happened in Good Night and Good Luck when people saw footage of uh, of um, Dizzy McCarthy. Gillespie. What? I don't know. I was just saying of uh, McCarthy, Joe McCarthy. McCarthy. That's the yeah. way I felt at the end of The Fighter when uh, we get to see the oh, yeah. real-life Dickie. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I thought Christian Bale was overplaying it the whole movie, but no, that's just the way the guy is. Um, that's why acting's so much fun to watch. Why is that? Because people are, di- are different than you think. <laughs> people are different than you think. That's the five-year-old's explanation that's, that's pretty, of acting. That's pretty deep Sometimes there, Josh. Sometimes you think a person is like a one-way, but they're a different way. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's let's start wrapping this up. Um so it was the idea of I did it for me that sort of made this film stand out to me. It was a you know, it was a, a serviceable little thriller um with some good performances and uh some interesting um I don't know, just some interesting genre techniques in a film that you wouldn't think would have them. Uh up until that line, I did it for me, which I think then took it to another level. That in the midst of a scene in which it became clear, oh, this is not merely about politics. It's also about the toll that this sort of thing takes on regular people. Um, but him saying, I did it for me, that's that's something that I feel like Christians need to think about a lot. Um, and I will tell a story, not so much a story, but I'll, I'll relate something from, from my life. So Josh and I actually we uh, we met each other through um, being part of the same like guys group uh, Bible study, and in this group there would you know it got up to be it got to be like twenty two guys uh, before we decided to split. But when it was up to twenty two guys, you know there would be a lot of opinions out there, and sometimes there would be opinions that I thought weren't good. Um, either I don't mean to say they were evil. Or anything like that, but I, I thought maybe like, you know, when you get a large group of people and they all start agreeing with each other, that you may find that they go maybe one step further in a direction than they normally would, and it's like, ooh, that step is not, we're heading now in a bad direction, and um, and often it was me and one or two other people who would say who would say sort of be the dissenting opinion and say you know what, I don't think you guys are wrong, but I think if we keep heading down this direction, you know, we're we're going to be in a, in a, in a bad place. And, I'll, you know, because I'm being very vague, I'm sure this isn't hitting anything home, but I'll, I'll be specific. Like, for example, uh, as one would expect, in a Christian group of men, uh, younger men, uh, there was a lot of talk about lust and porn. As listeners know, this is something that I'm I have very strong opinions about, and you know have struggled with. So uh, I don't mean to say that I wanted to dismiss it, but there became such an emphasis on it that it was literally as though it was the only thing that mattered. It's the only sin that matters, and so um, so it sort of it really bothered me. And at some point, I spoke up and said, like, well, you know, there are other there are other things, and if we make this out to be the end all be all, 
than I believe the way I phrased it was we could we could uh, we could back so far away from lust that we find ourselves backing into pride because it gets to the point where someone could be like yeah that's right I haven't looked I don't struggle with lust at all and then they you know if that becomes the thing then if you don't do that then you're you're good right everything's fine so I so that was that's an example of I was the guy who said like maybe we shouldn't do this and me and a handful of other people and actually I think Josh is sort of one of them would be the ones that said, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. And for me, playing sort of that role in the group, I feel like it's an important role and one that should be played. However, it's very, very easy, and I know that I have, I know that it's easy for me to become very, very pleased with yourself mm-hmm. and very prideful yeah. uh, about it. And, <clears throat> you know, and I have no doubt that that there were times when I would speak up in the group and even if even if what I was saying was good there was probably some of it some of it in which I did it for me yeah that can happen where um, obviously like you're saying the, the, you're more concerned about letting other people know that you're right than you are about actually helping those people I think right. that's an easy sin to fall into especially in a a, a situation like that which is essentially group counseling mm-hmm. where uh, nobody's in charge really nobody has a, a the authority above the others and so um people can tend to struggle for authority mm-hmm. in a way that they're not really meant to in that situation i think and so not to say that you did that all the no time, no it's it, that's the thing is like yeah. it's i I believe that what I was saying was good, but there is, you know, when you are the dissenting voice, it is very, very easy to fall prey to this idea of like, everyone's dumb but me. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't think that, but there, but I certainly saw myself heading down that direction. Mm-hmm. And now I am of the opinion that God can still use that. Yeah. But, you know. But you be, can still be, find yourself sinning and in, in seeing yourself as the lone voice of sanity. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think... You know, as I've said before, in in the first uh, MTO minisode, the the us and them episode, it's very us and them is always a bad idea, and us could be a certain type of Christian, and them could be another type of Christian, and it's like, I don't know, that's you'll always find it. And after all, we're only ordinary men. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so <laughs> um, uh, breathe. Yeah. Taking away. Like like half of the <laughs> half of your audience is like, what is going on? <laughs> so that laugh is uh is by the way a, a reference to the, the album. <laughs> so um so I feel like I want to Okay, so that's one thing is the idea of I'm trying to I'm trying to determine what order I want to go in, and I think I want to do this now that I okay. So I got a couple Bible ver- verses here. One of them I've read before, uh, and I'll read that later. But uh, in the spirit of uh, I did it for me, um, and that being a bad thing, right. is uh, <laughs> is First um, Peter three verses thirteen through sixteen. Uh, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. That's a quote from Psalms. But in your hearts set but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. 
But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slanders. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Um, and I feel like that that's the, that's the first theme that I wanted to get to here, is that um, we can be perfectly righteous in what we, in what we are saying. But the way in which we say it, or the tone that we use, and maybe even more our motivation for saying it can be very, very wrong. And like the Bible even specifically says, like, you know, this is talking about standing up as a Christian and declaring, you know, Christ is Lord. But as you do it, do it with gentleness and respect. And that is something that I think, um, I think many of us lack in the Christian, in, in I'd say maybe even the modern Christian church, because there's such an emphasis on being bold, and there's nothing wrong with boldness, but it's almost as if, like, well, this person's speaking ill of Christianity, so now I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to be, and they wind up being maybe a little too, a little too over the top. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times we see in the church, and I, it's a human problem, not specifically a Christian problem, right. but... Uh, one that we can see in Christians in the church is, is a concern more with being right than with being righteous. Ooh, that's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I <know>. Yeah. <laughs> I came up with that on the drive over. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so that was, that's the first thing. And when I, and it's interesting because I, uh, I never actually seen this verse before, uh, preparing for this episode. Really? And, uh, but then when I saw it, I was like, wow, it specifically says this, <laughs> man. I got it all worked out. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's the first thing is it it all it all goes back to humility, and just even if you are calling out other Christians, non Christians, calling out power, whatever, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And chances are, if you are doing it for the right reason, this goes back to what I was talking about, where when he acknowledges that he he did it for him. And then the tone changes, and his tone changes, and he starts thinking beyond him to the greater good. He's still doing what he was doing, but for a very, but for maybe a different reason. And you can see the to- the tonal shift in the film. And I think once you try to remove your own ego and your own sense of self righteousness, um, I think even if you are still doing the same thing throughout, I think you'll notice a huge difference in how people respond. Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing, uh, we're going to, I'm going to bring up the companion film now, which is All the President's Men, which was a film made in 1976, directed by Alan J. Pakula. That's how you say it, right? Might be Pakula. Pakula. I honestly have no idea. I feel like Pakula. Pakula. Oh, that's how it is, <laughs> right? There's no question that's how it is. Um, and it was written by William Goldman, who wrote every script. Uh, just... <laughs> That just made me think of something that I that really tickled me the other day. I think I should share with everyone. Okay, is uh, you do that while I get it. Uh, I have this drink because Pacula sounds like Blackula. Uh, <laughs> you're thinking, where is this going? Uh, I was watching watching uh, Thirty Rock the other day, and there is uh, a part where Tracy Jordan refers to uh, a remake of Affair to Remember that he was in that was called Bluffair to Remember Black. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, that's um, yes, and I remember. I think there was an episode of The Simpsons where they were talking about uh, they were showing a series of 
uh, black exploitation uh, horror films, and there's like we'll be watching uh, Blackula, and the I think like the creature from the uh, the black creature from the lagoon or something like that, and there's like followed by the blunch black of loader blame, <laughs> and uh, that was very funny to me. So um, so yes, let's uh, enough race baiting, Josh. Um, let's stop playing that card. Come on now. Um, so All the President's Men is a film that uh, I was telling Josh uh, before we started recording. I watch maybe two or three times a year. I love this movie. I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic when you said that. I, I feel like there's was almost not. nothing that I watch that that regularly. It's something. Well, it also has to do with the fact that uh, my wife and I both love the movie. And it's it's a film that I... There are movies that for some reason I find it very easy to throw in. And it's usually movies, as strange as it sounds, where... There is just information being thrown around all the time. And one of them is the aforementioned uh, JFK, Mm. in which a lot of that movie is just people talking and just delivering copious amounts of information in a short amount of time. Mm. And I don't know why, but I can watch that any time, and I find it surprisingly relaxing. (laughs) Um, Another one is uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Oh, yeah. I like that movie. And then... (coughs) Excuse me. And then uh, All the President's Men is another one because, I don't know, it's it's an, in, an intensely watchable movie because it's just this forward momentum. It's just people talk. It's just journalism at its, investigative journalism at its core. It's just calling people, going, you know, and looking for papers, looking for, you know, uh, doc, you know, documents and getting doors slammed in your faces, but there's always, there's someone who wants to talk and just, Mm. and it's just really fascinating. And so like I can watch it at any time, not merely because of the information that's always being thrown out, but it's just a relentless film. It takes its, its tone from its characters. It's a movie that really knows how to use, uh, how, how to pace a dialogue based film. Mm -hmm. Like um, the, the thrust of the movie is the dialogue I'd say. Mm. And, um, it, it does. It never feels like there's heavy scenes of dialogue. Like it's been going on for a long time. And it's a, the, the pacing always feels like you're we're, we're forward moving, like you said. Mm-hmm. Which the the total opposite can happen with a dialogue based movie, where it seems like people have just been sitting around and talking about who cares what for for yeah. hours. Um, and it's and I think maybe one of the reasons that it's so watchable is because of the dialogue. You know, it's interesting because I believe it. it one of, I usually write this stuff down, but I didn't this time. I, th- I believe it won Best Adapted Screenplay. And it's interesting because the film that won Best Original Screenplay that year is Network. And mm. both films, very dialogue heavy, but man, the, dia- the type of dialogue couldn't be more different. Network is over the top and theatrical. Don't get me wrong, I love Network. It's my mm. fourth favorite movie of all time. Uh, whereas the dialogue in All the President's Men... It's, it really just sounds like people talking. There's nothing incredibly over the top about it, uh, except it maybe... seems like it could be transcript almost. Oh, absolutely. And some of it seems like it could be ad-libbed, and that's also a function of the actors mm. just being so casual with each other that you really feel like you're just at somebody's workplace. Yeah. Um, there is some, some great acting. You look back on some of the movies from, from back then, and you think the, the, the casual attitude and the... And the Charisma that some of those actors, some mm-hmm. of the, you know, the great American new wave actors had, is is really something to something to be astounded by, and like something by which to be <laughs> astounded. Sorry, everyone. There you go. 
Um, and this also just has a really nice stable of character actors like Martin Balsam and Jack Warden and, of mm-hmm. course, uh, Jason Robards, who uh, won Best Supporting Actor for this film as uh, the editor of the Washington Post, Ben Bradley. And what I like about it is that the film starts with a break-in that it seems very inconsequential. And they, they have one reporter, he's sort of the cub reporter, Bob Woodward. He hasn't been on the paper very long, only li- like less than a year. And they send him to just cover this thing. And then it be- it's like, oh, one of these guys was with the CIA. That seems like a big deal, right? <laughs> and so then they add another reporter. And it's a guy that is very undependable, and they're gonna fi- they were going to fire him anyway. So they've got the cub reporter and the totally irresponsible reporter covering this thing that no one cares about. And these guys just keep going. They just keep uncovering things. And they just work their way up this ladder of power until they wind up, you know, at the, you know, White House chief of staff. And for those who don't know or don't remember, the two lead characters mm-hmm. are... Uh or two lead actors are Dustin Hoffman and uh, and um, Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Yes, I'm sorry. And All the President's Men is about uh, Woodward, uh, the the Washington Post reporters uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, uh, investigating Watergate, uh, starting with the burglar and then working their way up and just revealing things more and more until finally it's revealed that uh, Nixon himself was involved and it ultimately resulted in his resignation. Mm-hmm. And so it's. Uh, you know, it's crazy to think that these two guys who are really no- really nothing at the paper, doing a story that is nothing, but because they never stop moving, and the, f- the higher up they get, they meet, of course, with more resistance, and then they start to get the attention of the White House, and then people start to say, like, these guys are only, you know, they're only in it for themselves, and to a certain extent, they kind of are. Like, mm-hmm. they talk about how they're very paranoid about... Uh, you know, the other newspapers getting this story because it's so great. <laughs> yeah. um, but that they're only in it for publicity and it's just lies and lies and they just, uh, you know, hurl a lot of stuff at these guys. And it gets to the point where they, the more they uncover, the more they realize how powerful the entity they're dealing with is. Mm-hmm. And then they start to get a little paranoid for their safety. And it really, I don't know, it's it's invigorating and it really is sort of, I don't like to use this term, but it works. It's a David and Goliath kind of story, except David starts fighting Goliath with, or entertains the idea of fighting Goliath not knowing how big he is, hmm. or not really having an understanding of it, uh, but fights him anyway. That's one of the things that I think might, I think that's one thing that makes me like All the President's Men a little bit more than Fair Game, is mm. I feel like Fair Game, you kind of know, they're kind of setting up the whole time. Uh, what's going to happen. And uh, maybe that's because a lot of people going in know the story already. Right. But at the same time, people knew what happened with Watergate, especially, you know, a few years later, like everyone knew what had happened. So I, I, I like the way that all the president's men is able to almost be a mystery in a way, you know? Yeah. It re- um, it's like a detective story. Yeah. In a way. And it's able to, t- it's a, like you say, detective story. And there's, an element of like political thriller, but there's also just the, uh, th- there's different kind of genres, I guess that feed into it. And it's able to, to be, to use a lot of different filmic influences, I think. And you know, there's, and there's a line that I really like in fair game that could apply to both films in which Sean Penn is talking to a friend of his and he's very upset, uh, that, uh, the white house has, has lied or is putting out misinformation, whatever. 
And his friend's like, hey, man, just let it go. And then Sean Penn is like, we are talking about the most powerful men in the world. We are talking about the White House. And then the friend's like, go home, look in the mirror and say that. Hmm. <laughs> because he's saying it like, I can't believe these guys did this. And his friend's like, yeah, these are the guys you're going up against. Don't you realize that? <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, and as and as uh, in all the president's men is Wood, Woodward and uh, Woodstein is what they start to be called um, <laughs> as they uh, as they move their way up the ladder. The people they're dealing with become more and more are more and more paranoid and are, you know, scared to be talking to them. Mm. And it's really it's you know, it it plays out like a thriller, much like fair mm. game plays out kind of like a suspense thriller. All the president's men does as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just an immensely watchable film. But what I like is that they just don't they don't stop in the face of huge opposition nobody knows who they are or what they are and nobody seems to care At, meanwhile the president has just been reelected by a huge margin you know a huge landslide and that's who they're up against but they keep going and then the char- you know characters in fair game they keep going and that to me is that that's the other part of what i wanted to talk about is that as christians we frequently are going to be called upon to say what we believe or say what we think is right or wrong. It could be talking to non-Christians. It could be talking to fellow Christians, you know, but, and we have to do it even if that person is much more powerful than we are and could crush us. Even if it means the, the risk of being destroyed in some way. Yeah, and so I will go to this uh, this other quote that I that I've said before uh, is sort of I don't know I feel like I should put it on the website somewhere I say it so often because it is sort of the the quote that keeps me going. It's uh, going on the more than one lesson letterhead. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I mean on like pa- like paper. Every oh yeah, time for you all the letters up. I send out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. To to every listener individually. I could probably do that. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's Jeremiah one verses seventeen through nineteen. Uh, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a, f- a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And that is something that I, I, I've said it probably twice uh, elsewhere on the on the podcast because it's it's a very important verse to me um, because as you go up against you know it could even be like you know church leadership as I've said in other in other episodes like I have I have friends who are still attending churches that I used to attend but you know I moved away from and the churches it's not that they're going bad but you know it's people are flawed and uh, you know you hear it stories about like a pastor who has been maybe at the at that church so long that he starts to sort of think of it as his church when in fact he's just a pastor at a church which is a very different thing Mm -hmm. and you know I have friends who have stayed there and often get in you know loud arguments with like the pastor's wife and uh and even with him about how he is running the church and it really is him running the church and it's it's quite tragic it's quite unfortunate and i'm sure that they are very unpopular because you don't talk you know hey the pastor they're the the figurehead of the church you can't talk to them that way but 
you know, if you feel like they're doing something wrong, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sucks. And as long as you're, and this goes back to the other thing, you know, as long as you do it with uh, gentleness and respect, you know, then you are, you know, you're keeping a clear conscience, then, you know, you're, you're doing what you can. And, and also there's a, there's a few quotes. Well, I do like the character of Ben Bradley and all the president's men because he has a couple uh really nice quotes. Um, he's talking about this is this is towards the end of the film when they're going to finally be taking it up to uh, Bob Haldeman who is the chief of staff for Richard Nixon he says we're about to accuse Haldeman who only happens to be the second most important man in this country of conducting a criminal conspiracy from inside the White House it would be nice if we were right <laughs> and I feel like that's the third thing that we're ta- that I want to talk about which is don't run into this half cocked you know if you're going to confront somebody that you think is doing something wrong whether they be christian or non-christian do it with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience stand by your principles but also don't do it you know haphazardly yeah well in uh, a slightly different attitude but in a similar vein i think I think it's important to be cognizant of whether or not it is uh, when issues like this arise, whether or not it needs to be stood up against. Right. I think there are a lot of times when bad things are happening, but it's not our responsibility to question that and to stand up to that. So it's not to say that standing up to something isn't wrong or sorry, isn't, isn't good uh, inherently, but for instance, and you you had talked a little bit before about some of the the times when when Jesus stands up to sp- specifically to church leadership. Really, mm-hmm. we see a lot of that. But there were other there were other bad things that were going on in that society. You could say there were very bad things going on with the political climate. Mm-hmm. And Jesus had a, a platform and a position where he could have said, "Hey, hey, Romans." Yeah, that's how he would start it out. Uh, but he could have spoken up against against Roman authority, against Pilate in some way. Um, but he doesn't. And it's because his, it's because his purposes are God's purposes. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful that if we want to, to stand up against something that our purposes are, are God's purposes are, yeah. it's kind of Christianese, but to say kingdom centered, I think mm-hmm. is a, is a good way to, to put it, I, f- I feel. Do I need to explain that to people who, for whom that mean might mean nothing? Uh that wouldn't hurt. There's there's non Christians that listen to this, so yeah. go right ahead. I, I think when uh, that's a phrase that Christians use sometimes, is essentially to mean, um, something that furthers the kingdom of God. Um, for now, specifically on Earth, because mm-hmm. we can't. You know, we we don't have. A real practical effect on what happens in heaven. Am I correct in saying that? I feel like mm-hmm. it might be, but uh, it's more important to to further uh, God's God's kingdom on earth and to like see His will be done and to work for His will to be done than it is to stop everyone who's doing wrong. Really, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, there are a lot of uh, that's that, that's the thing. I think it's easy to ignore. Um, but there are a lot of times when, when Jesus specifically mentions that there are, there are going there are going to be bad 
things in the world. There will be bad people. Uh, there will be bad situations. I think a verse that uh, comes to my mind a lot is is the poor you will always have with you, which mm-hmm. is not an excuse to not help the poor. Right. But um, it, I think the 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 reason he says that is to point out that what's important is not to stop all poverty. What's important is to love your your fellow man as Christ would love him. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you, you'll never be able to end poverty because of the world we're in. And the same way you'll never be able to end corruption. You'll never be able to right. stop everybody who who's oppressing anyone else. Um, but... And and again, not to say that any of those things are bad or that those are things that we don't need to try and do because it's pointless. Mm-hmm. But um, the the central goal is to further is to further Christ's kingdom and is mm-hmm. to individually for us the central goal is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And I think that's actually sort of a good a good thing to keep in mind. And and I think we'll close out the episode with that because. You know, the first thing, anytime something like strikes you as maybe wrong or whatever, and you feel like you should do something about it, the first thing you should do is pray about it, maybe talk to other Christians about it, to make sure that it is, as you said, like a Christ-centered thing. And if, and, and if it is, and if you feel offended from, a, from, God's, pers- you know, from God's perspective, on, on beha- sort of on behalf of Christ, and you feel like you need to stand up... For that, then chances are the other things will come. You probably will not do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll probably do it the right way because yeah. if you're trying to do it on be, you know on God's behalf or as Christ's ambassador, to put it in a, you know in biblical yeah, terms, yeah. Um, then you'll try to be respectful. You'll try to be loving because that's how Christ was. And then the flip side is if you think if you're doing it for Christ's you know for Christ's kingdom then you're not going to stop. You know, you're going to be bold. You're going to be strong in spite, you know, in the face of adversity. Right. And, yeah, and so, like, I feel like as long as you have that first thing down, you know, prayer, Bible, uh, you know, prayer, Bible study, and, you know, communion with other Christians, I think, can help you to develop that uh, that discerning instinct so that you do know what is important what isn't important when you're personally offended as opposed to when you're righteously offended and that sort of thing because all those things that you said seeking the like seeking the counsel of other christians or or praying or or reading the bible all are taking the focus off of yourself Mm -hmm. um if you're i think diligently and truthfully (coughs) doing all those things then you're not going you you stand much less a chance of doing it uh, of of doing things for yourself and mm. you know in pride and i wanted to uh i wanted to end with a uh, this is a quote from fair game uh and it is what uh, Sean Penn's character says at the end uh during that speech and when she's talking to our friend Ricky um <laughs> that's how i like to see it and so um they're good friends i hear they're best buddies yeah uh, and so I keep telling R- Ricky, like, get see if Sean Penn will come on my show. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so like, as as we're reading this, think about he's talking about the country, but like, let's try and keep this in mind in terms of like the kingdom of God. 
uh, the responsibility of a country is not in the hands of a privileged few. We are strong and we are free from tyranny as long as each of us remembers his or her duty as a citizen. Whether it's to report a pothole at the top of your street or lies in a State of the Union address, speak out. Ask those questions. Demand that truth. Democracy is not a free ride, I'm here to tell you. But this is where we live, and if we do our job, this is where our children will live. God bless America. So, like, in that, in those terms, like, the kingdom of God, like, we all have a part to play, and we can, and sometimes we have to stand up for it. It, c- it might even mean standing up to church leaders, or it could mean standing up to, you know, somebody outside the church who is either saying, you know, awful things or whatever. Um, and as long as you're doing it for God's purpose, then I can't believe I'm ending on such a cheesy note. It doesn't matter how seemingly insignificant you are. If you're doing it for God's purpose and if you have righteousness on your side, you could wind up being like Woodward and Bernstein bringing down the most powerful man in the world. You know, it could be that. It could actually be that big. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, in some sort of spiritual sense, I don't know what the equivalent would be. (laughs) So, uh, what was that? David and Goliath. David and Goliath, there you go. Bring, bring down those giants. Face those giants. Here we go. <laughs> um, I'm laughing. Oh, you'll know why I'm laughing in a moment. So, okay. I mentioned earlier that I want to, uh, that at the very least this week I can tell you what we're going to be talking about next episode. So, anybody who remembers my Fireproof episode knows that I am not a huge fan of Christian film because most of it is terrible. Well, the makers of Fireproof are putting out another movie, everybody. It is called Courageous. And uh, the reason, by the way, the reason that Josh was laughing is because the makers of Fireproof and Courageous made a film called Facing the Giants. That was the, that was the first one, right? That was their first. Uh, no, their first one was called Flywheel. Okay. And then they made, which was very, very small. Then they made Facing the Giants. Then they, they made Fireproof. And that was their, what I called the, the F trilogy. So they completed oh. that. Now it's time for Courageous. They're onto a C trilogy, maybe? I guess so. I don't know. But, uh, so, I apologize. I'm being very glib about this, and I want to yeah. I want to talk about that in a moment. Yeah. Um, so, normally, I wouldn't care about this movie, Courageous, but I do know that a lot of Christians are probably going to see it when it comes out. And a lot of Christians... Uh, as we saw with Fireproof, I think it's safe to assume that a lot of Christians will champion this as a movie that we we want to show the Hollywood people that we support. Absolutely, um, support this movie, and everyone's going to go out to see it. And so Josh and I are going to be seeing it. And we're going to talk about it on the show. And okay, I'll be honest with you. I assume it's going to be bad. That that assumption is based on my opinion of Christian films that I have seen, and and the work of these. Right. Filmmakers in, in general. So that is an assumption I'm going. I, I have as I'm going in. If the film surprises me and is better than I think, so be it. I will absolutely try to say that. But w- but the thing that I do want to say, I was talking a moment ago about us being glib about this whole thing. Um, in the spirit of what we've been talking about in this episode, next episode, if it turns out that we don't like the film. I want to try. I don't want to have a repeat of my Avatar episode. You know what I mean? Where I just Avatar is horrible. Yeah. It's okay. Where I just, <laughs> let's not. We don't have to repeat it. Where I I feel like I was making good points about Avatar. No, yeah. But my tone was was probably a little wrong because I just got wor- I got really worked up, and I think and I wound up alienating some people with that. Mm. And that's not what we should do. And so if 
courageous winds up not being good, you and I can talk about it not being good. You know, being, you know, gentle and respectful doesn't mean lying. Yeah. You know, if the movie winds up being bad, we can say that it's bad, but we can do it with a clear conscience. We can just say this was not good and and this it hey, God can use anything and often does. He used fireproof, you know, he used facing the giants and that's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that one can can just put out bad stuff and just assume that God's going to take it from here. Mm-hmm. God will, you know, God will take it from there, but it'd be nice if you could make some good movies as well. But that's if uh, Courageous is bad. Again, I think it probably will be, but you never know. I've been surprised before. I, my favorite movie last year was Black Swan, and I don't like Darren Aronofsky. I really enjoyed Kevin Smith's Red State, and I don't like Kevin Smith, so I've been surprised before. Um, and so I guess what I want to say is we're going to try and hold ourselves and each other accountable to, ha- to striking a certain tone next episode and uh hopefully you guys will hold us accountable as well so uh so that's our episode about fair game it is a movie that i recommend and i and i i say this is like go see it i realize i just talked about it and chances are if you listen to this you've seen it but whatever (laughs) uh you might not have seen all the president's men in which case go and see that (coughs) um either way go see some movies absolutely movies are your friends yeah maybe not all of them but a lot of them are some movies are your friends some movies want to kill you yeah, I'm looking at you, films of Rob Zombie. Actually, I hear he's a pretty good director. So <laughs> No, but um, he might want to kill you still. Oh, that's entirely yeah. possible. I wouldn't rule that out at all. No. So, uh, okay, the website. You can go to morethanonelesson.com, and you can read various blogs. You can find episodes there as well as uh, minisodes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at More Lessons. You can follow Josh on Twitter. At The Josh Long. The Josh Long. Uh, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, and you know what? Here's, here's what I'll say. If you enjoy the show, and please, only if you enjoy the show, head on over to iTunes. Give us a good review. We haven't had a review in a while, and, uh, and I, would like, uh, I would like some more reviews. Again, please, only if you like the show. Um, <laughs> although, if you don't like the show, I don't know why you'd li- you would have listened this far. If you have bad things to say about me, feel free to just, you know. Yeah. If you have Go something, if you want to say something bad about Josh, you can say that on iTunes since we don't <laughs> provide his email address. Uh, yeah. So, or you can, you know, you can tweet him. Yeah. So tweet away. But uh, and then lastly, uh, I've said it before, but uh, I, no, I think I said it on the uh, the most recent minisode is uh, the podcast awards uh, submission process is going on. So, oh boy, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so I was nominated twice in a row, and if I don't get nominated for a third time. Now, sure, I can blame it on the addition of Josh. And you I can will. blame it on me. Oh, I, I will absolutely blame I it on know. you. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I know it's really dumb and maybe even a little prideful for me to, to want another nomination. But to be honest with you, good things have come about as a function of my nominations. That's true. Uh, whether, it, you know, whether it's that I got some new listeners or that I was able to start a conversation with uh, an atheist podcast that uh, the first year made fun of me and the second year invited me on their show. And, uh, and so good things came about from it. So go to uh, podcastawards.com and uh, submit more than one lesson in the religion category. Uh, if you felt like submitting Battleship Pretension in the movie category, hey, I'm not going to stop you. So, um, so yeah, uh, go ahead and do that. And hopefully the next episode, which, as I said, will be on the film Courageous, 
that will hopefully be up in the next uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, I'm very excited that we put this episode up so uh, so soon. Yeah, let's ho- let's keep it going. We're on top of it. The, this train's not stopping for anybody. We should do that movie Unstoppable. Oh, and and the train. Or or we could the companion film could be Runaway Train with John Voight, my favorite actor. <laughs> and Eric Roberts, my second favorite actor. God's two favorite actors. <laughs> exactly. That's the that's the Christian connection. <laughs> so um all right, and now that we've made now that let's end with a making fun of John Voight and Eric Roberts, why wouldn't we? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here as always. I'm glad to be here. All right. And, uh, I'll get you next time. Bye.